reunited and it feels so good. That's all I got. Oh, I was just getting into it. <laughs> it does. Welcome to Scholar Tea, everyone. I am Cameron Carl. And I'm Shauna. And we missed each other. It's we been a did. minute. Good to see you, friend. It's good to see you, too. I gave him a big old hug when I saw him. Yep. I actually got excited and did Jan's hands <laughs> at you. You did? Mm-hmm. Temperature check. <gasps> so if your mood was a trap hit, which song would you play today? Me on today? It's Stiletto Pumps by Cry Mob. What's yours? Um, I guess there's a theme today, huh? Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go with Knuck If You Buck. Yes. Yeah, you know? Because I said, we knocking and bucking and, and ready, ready to, to fight. undergrad mm-hmm. i think of being we used to have parties in this room called alumni hall mm-hmm. and like the party would just like that's when you knew that this was a lit party is when that song would play because they just take it to the next level yeah i was walking in new orleans the other day and that song came on and i stopped in my tracks <laughs> and and the people i was with they were like it's that other song what's the other one that juju on that beat oh okay i guess i didn't even pay attention it is it is oh, okay. they, they were like oh it's juju on that beat and I was like, no, this is absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's I, I know nothing. Blasphemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I stopped in the middle of the street, though, and I just <laughs> lost it right there in New Orleans. Okay, sorry. That was your mood. Obviously, we're feeling a crime mob, crime mob. mob mood today. Mm-hmm. So it's our mood at this point. Yes. Welcome back, people, for another fun episode of Scholar T. We're on episode 10. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. It's a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Season one is almost coming to an end. We're going to do 12 full episodes for season one. In this episode, we're going to highlight our Scholar of the Week. Shauna's going to update us on what was happening in those conference streets. Um, she was recently at Encore. Um, we have some hot topics. Um, the University of Pennsylvania will allow a previous graduate student to revise their dissertation because of faulty citations. We have a wonderful interview with your dear friend, mentor, sister friend, dissertation chair, and my future colleague. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess my colleague now, mm-hmm. um, Dr. Tamara Bertrand Jones, um, will step into the scholar tea. We want to spill a little tea talking about things that are on HR radar and some things that have been happening. What's problematic? I think we both travel quite a bit and some things have just been pissing us off Mm -hmm. with the flying process. So we want to highlight what's problematic about flying. Of course, jokes of the week. Um, We have some congrats to shout out and a wonderful quote to end us. So let's jump into it. Okay. Oh, what's your what's your shirt? Oh, <laughs> Cameron is wearing a Petty LaBelle T-shirt. <laughs> oh my God! It also I, fits my mood for today. <laughs> yeah, love it. If you were a T-shirt, what would it say? Oh, I love it. All right. So, Scholar of the Week is Tadashi Nakamura. 
Tad Nakamura was named one of CNN's Young People Who Rock for being the youngest filmmaker at the 2008 Sundance Film Festival and listed as one of the top rising Asian American directors on IMDb. The fourth generation Japanese American recently completed Mele Murals, a documentary on the transformative power of modern graffiti art and ancient Hawaiian culture for a new generation of native Hawaiians. Mele Murals was broadcasted on PBS and Al Jazeera and has received 14 awards at film festivals around the world. His last film, Jake Shima Bokuro, Life on Four Strings, was broadcasted nationally on PBS and went on to win the 2013 Gotham Independent Film Audience Award, which was in competition with 12 Years a Slave and Fruitvale Station. Nakamura's trilogy of documentary films on the Japanese-American experience, Yellow Brotherhood, released in 2003, Pilgrimage, released in 2007, and A Song for Ourselves, released in 2009, have garnered over 20 awards. Nakamura has an MA in Social Documentation from UC Santa Cruz, a BA in Asian American Studies from UCLA, and a BA in American Studies from UCLA, where he graduated summa cum laude. Shout out to Ted. I need to check that out. Yeah, I really think people should check out my murals. Like, I cried. It was it was touching. Nice. I liked it. We'll tweet that out. We'll tweet out the link. Okay. So just a random update. I went to MCOR. So uh, I think something to share that I've often shared with mentees and staff about expectations for conferences is something that I come to the table with at this point. I think people go to conferences thinking they're going to be completely filled, cup runneth over, mm-hmm. educated on everything. Right? Conference high. They're coming for the conference high. Yeah. Well, and even going to presentations thinking they're going to be completely educated in an hour and 10 minutes on a topic. And what I try to help people remember is that when you're presenting, you never know who's going to show up. You don't know how many people are going to be there. You don't know where they're standing. And so at this point, my personal approach when I want to do an advanced session is provide prerequisites in the abstract to let people know this is base level where you need to be because I'm just going to jump into that conversation. Not everybody takes that approach. And so a lot of feedback I've been receiving, even at Encore, was, you know, it didn't really, it didn't go as far in depth as I thought it would. I thought I was going to be enriched. And I already knew half that stuff. And we really didn't get into the meat of it until 20 minutes before it ended. And so I'm like, well, here are my expectations for conferences. If you got a really cool idea out of a session, that's great. If you were able to connect with someone new that you didn't know that's related to the work that you want to do or currently do, that's great. Were you able to follow up and meet up with people that you haven't seen in a while to think about collaborations in the future? And were you able to reposition yourself in the academy in some way? Like, were you able to introduce a part of you or your research to other people that might have attended your presentation session? Those are my goals at this point. I don't go to a session thinking that my whole world's going to be rocked. If it is, then I am pleasantly surprised, pleasantly surprised. And actually, mine was at Encore. I had one session. Who rocked your world? Oh, it was Judy Guillama and Frank Tewitt and colleagues. Come on, Frank. They and colleagues. um, I'm blanking on their names right now, but they were also it was two other individuals and they were amazing. So this is all University of Denver. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. they did a really good session. Like I'm still thinking through some of the information they shared and uh, was talking to our assessment people even here today about one particular individual who can help them with assessment and equity work. But it was really good. And they were just talking about like what it took to get to where they are, the fact that they're in their first year of this new model and basically distributing equity work across the institution, not just relying on two different 
different right. segments to do that work. And then uh, how do you involve faculty in that was the other part of the conversation. It was really, really good. But another thing I want to talk about with Encore was actually my experience at the plantation. Oh, I saw your pictures. I cried the whole time. I'm sure. I couldn't help it. Like, it was very overwhelming. It was very moving and traumatic and still enriching. And I'm glad I went. I wasn't sure. Uh, Jordan and I were texting. And I was like, I don't think I want to go. Like, I don't feel well enough to do something like that. It's a a different energy, Mm -hmm. right? But near the end of the conference, I had gotten so much stuff off my plate. Like, the other thing I do at conferences is get my work done, (laughs) right? Like, work I couldn't get done at work. I work on at a conference. I got so much off my plate that I was able to go with an open mind and open heart and I went to the Whitney Plantation mm-hmm. which is dedicated to the voices of slaves slaves in general but also slaves that were living on that plantation in that moment mm-hmm. right and so it was very impactful I think I can even share some pictures with people on our social media sites but if you're ever in New Orleans I think you should take that hour to drive out there and go to this space it was very moving and I always learn something new about slavery in a way that just shakes my world I learned a lot there, remorsefully so, but I'm still grateful that I exist today as a result of some very steadfast individuals who were not going to release their humanity mm-hmm. for this institution. I think the first two days after I went there, I couldn't, like when I was trying to describe what it was, I couldn't stop crying. Mm. It was good, but not like, you know what I mean? Like not a good movie. It was good for me to go. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Your mm-hmm. pictures were beautiful. And... um I enjoyed swiping rather than them fill up my entire timeline. <laughs> I knew it. So I really, really thank you for uh, taking what's problematic and then applying that to your social media presence. Every day I'm a student, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I did look at that. I was like, oh, these are 30 pictures. Right. <laughs> and you had, mo- and I appreciate it. You had multiple polls with multiple pictures selected. They were beautiful mm-hmm. pictures. Mm-hmm. You do a lot with that little Google phone you got over there. <laughs> emphasized she's green bubble she's team green bubble people shut up <laughs> what yours is blue what's the color it's team iphone yes blue whatever iMessage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh? is your phone on yeah I can hear it I don't turn off vibrate <laughs> <laughs> oh um I know how to turn my phone off of vibrate because it's a Samsung and Samsung's <laughs> that wasn't me what's that mean this name. <laughs> All I'm saying I'm is, ignoring her. I just know that my little green dot allows me to do things with my phone. My phone listens to me when I tell it to be quiet. Siri likes to be her own woman and do her own thing and nobody's going to control her. You need mm. Sorry, that's a tangent. That's a whole another tangent. Yeah, we're not going to go there. <laughs> Later. Another time. All right, so hot topic this week. So the University of Pennsylvania will allow Dr. Gregory J. Vinson, the former president of Hobart and William Smith Colleges, who resigned amid allegations that he plagiarized portions of his dissertation, the opportunity to make revisions to his literature review chapter. So once those revisions to his citations are made, Vinson's 2004 doctorate in education will stand. Somehow, several media outlets received an anonymous tip that Dr. Vinson had plagiarized a section of his dissertation. On April 13th, he resigned from his presidential post, although he denied the allegations. He felt he needed to step down in the best interest of his family and the college community. The plagiarism allegations leveled against Vincent anonymously are not credible, according to several higher education experts, who point out that although it appears that several citations were incorrectly formatted in Vincent's dissertation, the data analysis was fine. Is it data or data? 
both. <laughs> they argue that Vincent was enrolled in a cohort-based EDD program that prepares students to be practitioners at the highest level and not a PhD program, which primarily focuses on research. Thus, they said, citation problems are not unusual. That's a sada. Our renowned colleague, Dr. William F. Tate, said the citation corrections can be amended in seconds, evidenced by the University of Pennsylvania's decision to allow Vincent to make the changes. This is the slow trickle of other proven incidents of fabrication. I wish I were going to shout people out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is on the news, though. Okay. 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 And Mary Lee Jones at MIT, and notably Mary Lee Jones, lied for 28 years. Hello. Yes, I hear you. Well, because I have a question about this one too. Jones was a dean of admissions. Jones had on various occasions represented herself as having degrees from three upstate New York institutions, Albany Medical College, Union College, and RPI. And in fact, she had no degrees from any of those places or anywhere else. And she was a dean of admissions at MIT for 30 years, was publishing with people. And I don't think that would have happened if she wasn't a white woman. I agree. I also don't think it would have happened in current times. So I think in those times, it was very much, who do you know? Can someone vouch for you? And if people continuing to vouch for you, you type up this resume and you have someone say, hey, this person will be good for this job. I'm taking the word of Dr. Shauna Patterson Stevens and I'm not going and doing a background check. I'm not calling up RPI and be like, hey, what's homegirl's degree status? Like 30 years ago? Yeah, we didn't do background checks. We didn't do that. They didn't do that. It was about who you knew. Yeah, that's true. That would not happen I today. Still I still don't think. think that would have happened in that moment for a person. Oh, color. no, 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 no. I have a couple issues here. Okay. The first issue is saying that because they're getting an EDD that they don't know how to do citations. <laughs> That's extremely <laughs> problematic to me. A doctor is a doctor. Agreed. Right? Like, that was a side eye. Yeah. No, when I saw that too, I was like... <laughs> Oh, we out here doing that, huh? And and to me, if I got an EDD, I would be pissed as well. To me, that's trying to cheapen what I've worked so hard for, Mm -hmm. right? That I'm not expected to live up to a level of excellence and a standard Mm -hmm. to receive my doctorate. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, some institutions do PhD level work with the EDD degree. And that's all you can earn at specific institutions. And so my understanding of Penn even is it is a PhD anywhere else, but it's an EDD program. That's the other thing. Mm -hmm. Side eye. Like you're still writing a dissertation, but it is an EDD. I think Teachers College does it that way too. Yes, yes. So yeah, those old Ivy Leagues. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing about this is who wanted to take this man down? Mm -hmm. Because he's anonymous tips, tips, right? Like that's what's happening here. Yeah. And I heard that some people think that it's because he was at a small liberal arts college in New York, upstate New York. Um, It had some things to do with the fact that he was a man of color, but also like the added thread might be because he was a man of color that fiercely protected Texas Austin in that suit. Oh, Um, mm -hmm, okay. Okay. mm -hmm. He has a background in law. Okay. And he was one of the advocates for Austin for denying. Oh, girl, Fisher. Abby. Stay mad, Abby. He he was one of the people that actually uh, was successful against. So you think he was targeted? Oh, totally. Well, I, of course. I mean, someone's an anonymous. Uh-huh. My thing with anonymous, though, is like as investigative as we want to be, as law and order as we try to be, with those anonymous things, sometimes you are hella surprised about who wants to take you down. Mm. It could have been somebody from grad school I talking about he know. shouldn't have that job. I want that job. Like you just never, you never know, know who, who wants to see your downfall. Like in this particular moment, Vincent had a discrepancy. I don't yeah. think that was worthy. And, you know, you have to wonder why wouldn't the 
college say, hold off. I know you want to resign, but let's just see how this goes first with your investigation. Oh, that has nothing to do with it. That's about bad publicity. No matter if he's Mm -hmm. telling the truth or not, we now have bad publicity that's going to linger on until this is resolved. So my brother, we'll see you later. (laughs) We we tried. Uh Good to meet you. Good to know you. I don't know if that would have happened if if he were a different person. I don't know. Oh, fair. They will try to take a brother down. And they did. I mean, they were successful in this moment. They were. Up next, we have an interview with just an amazing individual, thoughtful, gives me peace every time. I actually love this woman, Dr. Tamara Bertrand Jones. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am originally from Houston, Texas, and I moved to Florida to go to graduate school. Uh, That was 20 years ago next month. And I'm still in Florida. Fortunately, I should say I'm not in graduate school any longer. But things have been quite a whirlwind since moving to Florida. So I am currently an associate professor of higher education at Florida State University. This is going on my ninth year and I'm enjoying faculty life and all that it is highlighting for me in terms of who I am and who I want to be as a person as well as as a scholar. Um, So, Tamara, what does support look like to you? How do you support others in the academy? And how do you like to be and feel supported? I think support comes in lots of different ways. For me, I try to support people the way that I want to be supported. And I know that is pretty selfish. But I think at the same time, knowing what my desire for support is, it helps me to be even more open to supporting others. So, for example, I appreciate open, honest communication. And so I try to provide that for the folks that I'm supporting, whether they're students or colleagues or others I'm in relationship with. So that open and honest communication. I try to do it in a way that is nice. How should I put it? Not not necessarily nice because I think nice means something different in the academy. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about that if y'all want to, but in a way that is authentic, but at the same time that is not abrasive or not detrimental to the person that I'm attempting to support. I also like to provide good feedback. I like to provide the type of support that I would look for or I have looked for at various stages in my career. One of the things that I I don't think that we do well in the academy is providing feedback that is tailored to the person, that is open and honest, and people can actually do something with So, for instance, I'll never forget for my third year review, besides the the anxiety that comes with that process, part of the feedback that I got during third year review was, you need to publish more journal articles. Well, duh. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I know that. I know that I need to publish more journal articles. Can you help me a little bit more here? Can I can I get a little bit more guidance, some more specificity? What does that look like for me? Um, what kind of journals should I be publishing in? What about the other aspects of my work that might be better tailored for another outlet or just about other things about who I was as a scholar that I didn't get feedback on? And so for me, it's important to provide people with feedback that matters to them. 
feedback that they could do something with, and then feedback that I think is helpful for them to be able to move forward. So in writing with students, I try to provide lots of detailed feedback. Shauna may agree or disagree with that. I think that that matters. So that takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to do. And I don't think that we do as good of a job of that in the academy as we could. So I like to receive that kind of support. And that's the type of support that I give. And then the open and honest communication. I think we do have an issue of being nice. People want to be nice. Like they want to be liked. They want to be nice. But at the same time, nice doesn't always equate to honest. Nice doesn't always mean that you are being truthful or telling someone what they need to hear versus what you think is going to make sure that you are maintaining relationships. I don't mean be nasty to people, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, if you know that someone is struggling, why would you say, oh, no, you're doing just fine. Mm -hmm. You're doing great. No, that's a lie. And that's not helping that person get better. That's not helping them become who they want to be in a lot of areas. So I've seen people and I've heard people just give folks um, this kind of nice, dishonest feedback in a way that is not helpful to them. In fact, it's oftentimes detrimental. So one of the things that I think it was, the first time I heard it was Joyce Meyer said, Hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think when you encounter someone who is being mean and nasty, then there's something about their experience, there's something about them that hurt them deeply, and so they're lashing out. So I try to think of dealing with those folks in a couple of different ways. The first one is to acknowledge, you know what, this might not even be about me, but I'm the first person that you're interacting with. And so it's becoming about me, but this is really about you and something that's happened with you. So I try not to take everything personally, but when you're lashing out at me, it's hard in addition to trying to take that moment to think about where that person is coming from. I also try to look at, okay, is there something in this? Take away the delivery, but is there something about this message that I need to hear and understand? Is there something in this message for me that I can take and then use to make myself better or to improve my particular situation. So some people are mean and nasty because they're hurt. There's something that's happened to them. And so they haven't dealt with it. They haven't taken the time to examine the ways that situation or an encounter caused them to feel. And so they harbor that dis-ease. They harbor that um, negative emotion. And it builds out in their interactions with others. If people don't know, they need to know. Um, You are one of the co-founders of Sisters of the Academy. So could you talk a bit more about the process by which it was founded and the goal of the organization, as well as some of the primary programs you feature? Sure. So SOTA was founded in 2001. We were a group of doctoral students and recent doctoral grads from Florida State. Anna Green worked with Rachel Mabakela, and they co-edited Sisters of the Academy, Emerging Black Women in Higher Education, an edited book. And the book brought together women from all walks of life, but they were at various stages of their careers in the academy. And so as a result of that, we wanted to create an organization that did the same thing that essentially the book did. How could we create a group that provided support for women? 
that were alone in situations, alone in institutions. We realized that not everyone had a great support network. At the time when I was in graduate school at Florida State, there were a lot of Black men and women who were pursuing doctoral degrees. And so there was this really good support network at the institution, particularly in our College of Education. And as we would go to conferences and were interacting with sisters, we realized that not everybody had that situation. Not everybody had support. They were either the only or one of a few in their programs or in their departments or even in their colleges. And so SOTA was first out of the desire to help provide a, a network of support for those women. And then as we started to think about, well, what else do we need as a part of that support emerged many of the professional development programs that SOTA has developed to support women throughout their academic careers. So from the research boot camp, that was birthed out of a desire to help sisters finish their doctoral degrees and to prepare them for tenure and promotion. And then the writing retreat came out of that and realizing or recognizing that writing, it is central to who we are as academics. And so as a part of that, we needed to make sure that sisters were equipped with the skills and the resources that they need to be as effective as they could be at writing and publishing and getting our work out there, publishing more journal articles, as my third year review committee said. And then the grants workshop came next. And that was a result of having conversations with sisters about not understanding the process of getting external funding, as well as just the increased emphasis that institutions are placing on getting external funding. So the grants workshop provides doctoral students as well as administrators and faculty with the resources they need to demystify the external funding process and develop relationships with potential funders and help us just to begin to think about how they could articulate their work in a way that would be beneficial for them in securing external funding. I think overall, SOTA has been able to develop a network of women that together serve to connect women and equip them with the resources or the tools, strategies that they may need to be successful in the academy. So thinking about kind of how you take care of yourself and the space of the academy and what that brings, what are some other aspects of your life that make you kind of feel complete? Spirit is very, very important to me, and my faith even deeper than I think spirit spirit pieces is definitely a core of who I am. And so I try to make sure that I am feeding that part of myself. I think so much of the academy, it can cause you to lose yourself, can cause you to lose touch with who you really and truly are because you are striving to be whether you're in an administrative position or you're in a faculty position or just in general, these institutions can sometimes cause us to lose ourselves. And so how do you stay focused on who you are? Well, first you got to know who you are. Mm. And it takes a lot of time and energy to invest in yourself, to figure out who you are. And once you figure out who you are, then you can determine how you want to show up how you want that to be reflected in your career. So for me, getting in touch with my spirit, understanding that I have a faith and I need to develop that faith. And that faith should guide how I interact with people. That faith should guide how I approach my work. That faith should guide all of my decisions. Something that's been helpful for me, especially when I get distracted by all of the dust that gets generated in the academy. When it all settles, 
who am I at my core? So for me, having a faith practice is definitely important, whether it's prayer and meditation, listening to things that are uplifting, that feed my spirit. That is so important when I don't do that on a regular basis or when I allow myself to get distracted by all of the goings on in the academy is when I feel out of sync and out of touch with myself. So having a faith practice and feeding my spirit is definitely one of the core things. The other piece is taking care of my body. I've been trying to be a lot more conscious of that, particularly with food. Unfortunately, I have not kicked my sugar habit. Mm. I have discovered this little, it's a franchise, so you probably have one in your area. There is a little cake place Uh. called Nothing But Cake, and they have this lemon cake. It just calls my name (laughs) Um, almost on a daily basis. And so I have to resist that urge to eat this lemon bunt cake every day. Besides the fact that the cake costs $4. And if I did that every day, that's quite a grip for some cake. Mm-hmm. And then I would literally wear that on my body. And I don't want to wear cake, 30 days worth of cake on my body. So in order to help curb some of that, I work out and try to be conscious of moving, whether it be a walk or taking a minute to make sure that I'm listening to it and taking care of it because it's the only one I have and I want to be around for a while. So I would say at the top of my list are spirit and um, health wellness are two things that I think you need to make sure that you do in order to be sane or stay sane in any work that you do, but particularly in the academy. Yeah, unfortunately, the only train that we had out here was Subway and it closed. So Oh, man. You should come visit well, her. I can send you a nut <laughs> butt cake, and I'll bring cake. Yeah, I'll come and visit, and oh, I can bring yeah. cake with me. Come and visit. I felt all the shade <laughs> over there, though. We will go for walks. <laughs> Oh, on her side, not for me. Uh, no, from you. For me, <laughs> I'm so shade, and I always visit. That's right. <laughs> well, you can come visit together. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting close to the end, and what we do at the end is a speed round where you are required to choose, and you have to just go with your first mind. You can't hem and haw. You just have to pick. So are you ready? Uh oh. <laughs> it's easy. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm ready. Bracelets or necklaces? <laughs> Necklace. Dallas or Houston? Oh, Houston. <laughs> that was Shauna came up with these questions. <laughs> of course. <laughs> champagne flute or coffee mug? Oh, champagne flute. Mm-hmm. Manny or petty? Oh, petty. Not like some jacked up feet. Don't I know it? Jay Z or Molly music? <sighs> mm, Molly music. Extrovert or introvert? Introvert. Me too. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to meet with us. I know all of y'all are really busy. It's a hectic time of year, but thank you for sharing with us today. Yeah. Thank you all for doing this and for giving us stylists the space to be able to talk and be differently, be different than we are. Mm-hmm. Always scholarly, but in a fun way. Fully human. Yeah, fully human. I'll see you in those Tallahassee streets soon. Okay, we're looking forward to it. 
I always enjoy talking to Dr. Bertrand Jones, don't you? Yeah. Well, of course you do. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, y'all, she was my chair, my advisor in my wedding. She was. She can't shake me. She's actually said that before. <laughs> uh, she will always be in my life. And the funny thing about it was I was in a space where I had just previously left an institution where people made assumptions about me and my uh, supervisor because she was also a black woman. And we were close. Like, we still are close. I do see her as a mentor, but they then assumed that she treated me unfairly. And so I started to tell my business because I knew she couldn't. Mm. Um, and I was, you know, in that way because I was like, no, actually, she holds me accountable more so because of this relationship. Yeah. So I was coming from that space and I was actually purposely avoiding Dr. Bertrand Jones because of that. Mm -hmm. I was worried about what it might feel like politically, but I I was just drawn to her and I couldn't help it and I love her. Love it. Mm -hmm. Love it. Well, now you have two people that you could come to Tallahassee to visit. I'll be there soon. <laughs> I'm coming. So let's spill some tea. All right. What's going on? So we recently received a retweet and the message read, hashtag Thursday thoughts. Don't post open jobs that really are not open because you've already determined your choice and you just need to slide it under HR radar. So most people have observed this occurrence on college campuses. Sometimes the HR manager is in on it and sometimes they aren't. But most folks know that it's happening, but they don't really talk about it, which I find really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I've even heard individuals giving me insight on positions, you know, that are open. And they're like, oh, such and such wants to talk to me about this later. But I just don't see the point because we already know we're hiring this other person. So we know it's happening on college campuses, right? I'd even like to add when hosting a search process and you've invited people to campus for the interview, you can't ghost them. You can't act like it didn't happen. You need to follow up. First of all, I think that's so, I think that's so <laughs> trifling. It's trifling. But it's becoming a thing. It is. And I think anyone involved first, backing up even to the interview process as someone who's like oftentimes on search committees or invited to interview prospective colleagues, anyone involved in the interviewing process should be prepared to participate in a way where bias and inappropriate questions are omitted as much as possible. So like some people, of it's illegal. It's completely illegal. <laughs> and people ask personal questions. So are you married? Your role in this whole thing has nothing to do with that. Why are you asking that question? Ask them how they're going to supervise. Don't ask them that question. Me and my colleague had a recent conversation about age. Mm -hmm. And so she was saying she doesn't put the year she finished her doctorate or her other degrees because mm -hmm. then people try to calculate what her age is. Because mm -hmm. I was like, I side-eye people that don't put the year because I want to know that it's done, right? So mm -hmm. it was just like the degree on there. I, I question like, what well, is this? Is it done? Um, but she was saying that like, then it wasn't on there. So then during the interview, they're asking her, when did you finish at mm -hmm. such and such institution? Mm -hmm. And they're basically asking her age. Yeah. She's like, they're trying to calculate how old I am. No, I've heard other people do that too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not even like it. the doctor. Like, when did you finish your doctor? It was like, when did you graduate from undergrad? And like, See, no. like why? Why does, have, why does that matter? To our point earlier. Earlier, you have an HR process now, so you can verify that with the proper right. authorities, right? I don't need to tell you. As the interviewee, if I don't answer the question, I look shady mm -hmm. or I look confrontational. How do you handle someone asking you a question that they're not supposed to be asking you? Well, these days I'm my authentic self and I answer <laughs> accordingly because you need to know who mm -hmm. I am too, but... Um, I digress. Okay, so for phone interviews, you at least should be emailing them a follow-up. Like, Absolutely. At least to say, thank you, but we're going to move on to another choice. You were excellent, amazing, loved you. We only have one position, though. Right? Something, some yeah. email. 
a phone call if you have time, but I think an email is fine. If you have campus interviews and you bring people to your campus, you should at least be then having a phone conversation with each of those candidates because I'm assuming at max it's five. Some faculty searches have five. At max, five. But But time and labor. Time and labor, sure. But either way it goes, that's like an experience that you should be recognizing as something that took a little more effort. And you should make that phone call and say, I'm sorry, we've offered someone else the position. And on top of that, I'm hearing, especially this past semester, search committees who aren't even following up with candidates that they had on campus, period. Like, not even to say that you didn't get the job, but like, I had questions. You made an offer. Yeah. And I have questions about it and you don't respond ever again. Yeah. That's ridiculous. But you, by not following up with people, they're finding out in other ways, which I think is just tacky. Yeah, I do think that there are actual protocols that should be maintained. And I was trained better than that, right? And I'm not even an HR manager. But I was like, what HR office would let you do that? If you're not going to do it, then they should take the ownership as the HR office there to do it. There are some HR offices I know, I know, I know. that don't understand HR policy, practice, and law. Come on, like, come on. So there's on. that that's happening as well. But Give the people were. You need to be following up with these candidates. You cannot leave them high and dry that is basic yeah and be more than basic <laughs> i try to give my candidates an experience i try i like i want to show them that i care i want to give you a holistic understanding of what it might be like to work with me and if i have feedback for you i'll share it but if i think you're really great and i just don't have space i'll also let you know that like i don't feel like we need to reify some of these problematic but procedures and practices and behaviors and through that some places are showing them what it would be like to work there they totally are <laughs> and that's my feedback at this point like if you're experiencing that with an institution that lets you know you don't want to be there i think there's other ways to do it i think you can run a search with grace i think you can treat people with dignity and respect well you got you just did a whole conference presentation right here so why don't you go teach to people okay They should give me some money. (laughs) (laughs) Money. Money. Yo. What's problematic this week? So Shauna just got back from New Orleans. And, you know, I've been flying quite a bit as well. Um, But we travel and I think we become kind of expert travels. We know what works for us. We Mm -hmm. know the process. But what's problematic this week (laughs) is people knocking and trying to buck to get off the plane. Mm Mm-hmm. And it ain't your time. Mm-hmm. It ain't your turn. It ain't your row. Sit your ass down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That annoys me. It really does. <laughs> and there's always the person like, I have a short layover. My plane's about to board. Oh, so is mine. Look at that. Half the plane probably has a quick layover. Like oh, you rushing through up the aisle and you was in row 28. Like sit down. I've gotten in confrontations <laughs> and they always let me pass. I will confront someone. What else? Um, people boarding at the end thinking they, their carry-on is not about to get checked at that <laughs> gate will bring that whole carry-on on and try to fit it somewhere is no place. Like, there's no room in the end for you. Mm-mm. You knew you was in zone four. Mm-hmm. Or nine. <laughs> So more recently in my travels, you know, they always overbook. They're trying to, you mm-hmm. know, give you this little But we voucher. know that. We know the like, game. They're doing like every single time. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, I actually just don't like to carry my bag, but I don't want to pay for it either. I always check it at mm-hmm. the gate. I just put everything in it. I have my little purse. It's light. I might have my little laptop. It weighs like two pounds. So I'm good. And you're in zone nine because there is a zone nine now. (laughs) And you know, because they gave that announcement early, we're packed. We're full. We need 15 volunteers to check their bag at the gate. We need you You to check your bag. No, you should have jumped up. All zone nine needs to jump up. (laughs) And then they tell you at zone four, okay, we're full. Please check your bags. And you're still sitting on that shit. 
and you're still going to try and roll your dusty bag down the aisle and try to shove it over someone's head and there's no space for it and we know because it's closed it's closed Mm. y'all need to quit go get your cousins the door is closed don't touch my stuff either Yo, Ooh, they will rearrange. Oh, my God. When they, I, they will move your stuff to the other side. Oh, my God. When we were going to the Bahamas uh-huh. for the wedding, I had taken up a thing for my dress. Oh, OK. I was about to punch someone in the face because they, 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 they moved going, your dress. They thought they were going to. <laughs> they thought they were going to. You know, a wedding dress when you see the bag, you know, don't don't try to put your rusty bag on my dress. Oh, they would have put it on top they of the bag. They were. No, try, they tried it. They tried it. No. They were unsuccessful. I'm sure. But yeah, people are inconsiderate. Um, Cost of luggage, cost mm. of baggage, right? Mm. Like checking a bag. I think that's a little ridiculous. There's this new thing now too. I didn't know. I buy all my flights from Expedia just because it's just easier for me. I know uh-huh. other people use different things. Yeah. Well, it doesn't tell you if you have an econ oh, flight. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know there was a thing. You got economy, so base fare. Mm-hmm. I will check one bag and pull, like I said, my carry-on, and I'll check it at the gate. Well, now if you have an economy flight, at least with United, you have to check them both when you're checking in. And it's $35 and $25. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was a thing. It's ridiculous. Why is it so much? And why why 50 pounds? Why is it stuck at 50? Why not 54? <laughs> 57.2. The international ones are even worse. Like going to South mm. America, oh. they weigh your carry-on. <laughs> It's over 20 20 or 25 pounds. 20 pounds. So we did a challenge recently Uh um, when we went to South America. And the challenge was to get a week's worth of travel into a carry-on. So everyone everyone accepted the challenge. We was all good. And then they started weighing our carry-on. My carry-on with a week's worth of clothes, it was a struggle to close her. Mm -hmm. So of course she's over. They made you check it? Mm -hmm. How much was that? Oh, it's free because it was international. Okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a big deal, but like the challenge. I also heard that you can get two bags free for international too. Depends on where you're going. Okay. So South America, yes. Europe, no. I think it's just one. Mm-hmm. Depending on where you're going in Asia. Mm-hmm. But South America, yeah, you can get two bags free. I just think it's ridiculous because there was a time when I didn't have to pay at all. Hello. And I still remember those times. It was part of the ticket, right? Mm-hmm. Part of the flight. Um, basic ass snacks on the flight. Like if I'm paying $400 to fly and you just giving me some Cheez-Its, like that annoys me. You know who got the best snacks? Who has the best snacks in your opinion? None of them. JetBlue got some bomb snacks. No. I love JetBlue snacks. No, no, They eat a whole can. <laughs> well, yeah. So I was about to say, I remember a time when you could get the whole can. And now I'd be like, I want the whole can. And they, they'll give it to me. Yeah, they will. They have an attitude. Ass. And I'm like, what am I going to do with six ounces and some ice? Better take a shot of this ginger ale. <laughs> um, to me, I think Wi-Fi just needs to be free. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we just playing this game? Now, if you want faster Wi-Fi, then charge me for that. But like right. at this point, get like the hotels and just give me the free Wi-Fi. Well, can we go back to snacks too? Oh, okay. Can we still eat? I, I don't like it when people bring some real stank food on the plane either. This is inconsiderate and trifling. And, yeah, like tacky. I understand we got to eat. So yeah, get yourself some snacks or whatever. But yeah, you shouldn't be bringing tuna out, you know, with some onions and sauerkraut. Like that's not the time. That's disgusting. You know. <laughs> Because uh, then other things happen afterward, and it's just it's just stinking the whole time. Yeah. And a tip that I use, by the way, for folks, I will wear a scarf always, and I spray it with perfume before I leave. Oh. And I always hold it over my face when things go down south. Give, give the people a gym. Because ain't nothing worse than sitting next to a funky person man. on an airplane. But stop bringing your tuna fish sandwich with onions yeah. and sauerkraut. 
Um, I am a sleeper. I, I think it's a disease. <laughs> I, as soon as I sit down on a flight and we are taking off on the runway, I am sleep. Really? Like I fall asleep very easily. Uh-huh. Now I'll wake up to like, okay, I need to do some work. Mm-hmm. Like once we're in the air, I wake up. Mm-hmm. But like taking off and like that whole process, I can fall asleep. I usually put my headphones in. Sometimes something's playing. Sometimes it's not. My headphones are on because I don't feel like engaging or speaking. But you continually want to speak to me. <laughs> that annoys me. <laughs> am I rude? No, my understanding is that's the sign now. Like, headphones on, don't bother me. Pretend sleep, don't bother me. (laughs) (laughs) My sister. So she has this theory because she does it. I've noticed it. And it's in the car, but she might do it in a plane too. When she's scared, she falls asleep. Oh, okay. So, like, when she's afraid that someone, like, she doesn't like someone's driving style, she'll sleep in that back seat. And if she's falling asleep, you know it's because she's nervous. Uh Uh-huh. So maybe that's what it is. Oh. Because if you wake up in the air when it's smooth. Yeah. But then you go back to sleep when you're landing. (laughs) I could. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm I'm just tired of inconsiderate people in travel. Just in general. Just the other day, someone smashed my toenail, my perfectly manicured toenail, and actually chipped it and broke it um, with their freaking luggage because they couldn't wait three seconds for me to pass through the aisle before they started shifting around. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Did you cuss them out? By that time, I was so tired from the trip, I just kept it moving. Oh, I'm but sorry. I gave him a look, and he knew because he kept apologizing while I was halfway down the aisle already. But I didn't look back. I have the face. Govern yourselves accordingly on your travels, and that's what's been problematic this week. So you ready for some jokes? Give it to me, sis. Jokes of the week. All right. So I have Cameron five jokes. <laughs> Sometimes you like to. They <laughs> be. I feel like you did like six or seven. It's always five. (laughs) Are you ready? Go ahead. Why did the doctor name her dogs Rolex and Timex? Why? Because they were watchdogs. (laughs) Okay. What's the difference between a poorly dressed person on a tricycle and a well-dressed person on a bicycle? Tricycle, bicycle. I don't know. A tire. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. Do I enjoy making courthouse puns? Sure. Guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Why couldn't the bike stand up by itself? No kickstand? It was two tired. Two tires. (laughs) Two chains. (laughs) Did you hear that Arnold Schwarzenegger will be doing a movie about classical music? I did not hear that. He'll be bought. The classical artist. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> okay. Oh, those were mediocre. Yeah. I, I didn't feel the hearty chuckle. I tried. I blame it on the time of year. You know, I'm trying to relax. No, those are just bad jokes. Lay <sighs> sigh. <laughs> I'll do better next week. Get more from Kennedy. <laughs> she was so, okay, let's talk about that for a minute. Because I let her listen to that section. She was so thrilled. You know, when she's Come hyped. On farm legs. Right. <laughs> I should have caught her that when I saw her. <laughs> <laughs> she just has, like, when she gets excited, she'll just, like, kind of look at you and smile a little bit and maybe squint her eyes. And that's her being all over the place. Where other kids, they're jumping off of things and stuff. Mm. Hers is like, hmm. That's her being excited. So uh, congrats to Dr. Michelle Espino Lira and Dr. Susana Hernandez for attaining tenure. Oh, Dr. Ignacio Hernandez, too. Susana's husband. Oh. 
Yes, nacho. Congratulations. Oh Can I give God. a special shout out to my friend? Like, so this is my friend I work with at Salem State, mm-hmm. Dr. Stephen Oliver. He listens to every episode and as he listens, hey, he, Steven. he texts, like as he's listening, his like response as for what we're talking about. So I had to like, I was like, couldn't respond to everything he sends, but he's an avid listener to the podcast and he also just received tenure from Salem State oh. University. So shout out to you, Dr. Oliver. So proud of you, friend. Congratulations. Look, y'all, please, we need more voices out there. So I know sometimes it feels like it's really rough, but please get that tenure because it, it makes a difference in terms of leadership on college campuses. That's and real. we need those voices. Those are the future department chairs, deans, mm-hmm. and Provost. college presidents. Mm-hmm. Celia Cruz once said, forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is remembering without pain. Forgiveness is an act of bravery, requiring vulnerability, openness, and exposure to raw emotions. If you're finding yourself in a situation where it's difficult to let go, we encourage you to reflect on the ways you are worth the peace that will wash over you once you are freed of the burden of remembering with pain. Because you are worth it. Treat yourselves to some peace of mind this week. You are worth it. That's tea this week. Holla at y'all next week. That was good. That was good. Can I get those Doritos? Yeah. (laughs)